Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Welcome back to Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart, Senior Vice President of Sales at Biostar Renewables. And I am honored to have Robin Salawax, the CEO of eAgronom, on the podcast today. This is uh, Robin is coming to us from Estonia, certainly our first guest from Estonia, and um, very, very excited and appreciative of you coming on the show. Robin, thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, really glad to be here. Absolutely. I was so uh, interested in your company, eAgronom, and what you all are doing uh, sort of related to carbon sequestration, carbon credits, uh, and enabling farmers to sort of maximize their business model. So we're going to get into all of that today. I want to hear it from you, though, first. Tell our listeners and viewers about yourself and your background and how you came to be the CEO of eAgronom. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm actually coming from the farming family. So my father has around 3,000 acre organic grain farm in South Estonia. And, uh, uh, but but I, I studied computer science myself in the university. So e-acronym for me was opportunity to put those two worlds together. Uh, and in 2016, uh, my father started looking for a new tool to manage the farm. I uh, didn't find anything good uh, in the market and I ended up developing it uh, on my own. But already, uh, and, and then some other farmers picked it up as well. And uh, that's how it started growing uh, as a, a farm management software. But from the day one, we had a function called Humus Balance Calculator uh, included to the system. So humus is the richest part of the soil, uh, 40% of this is carbon. And uh, that function was something that no farmer asked from us, uh, but my father. And that wasn't the reason why farmers paid for our tooling, but it was important for us. Uh, we just wanted to give this context to farmers that if they do some changes in their practices, how their humus balance is changing and uh, are they sequestering more carbon in the soil or are they... Uh, having less uh, carbon and humus and nutrients in the soil after that. So um, uh, from the day one, uh, it was clear for us that we wanted to uh, find a way how to uh, how to get farmers to apply more regenerative practices. And then uh, two years ago, we launched the carbon program, and that was our uh, way to really, uh, really finalize and uh, or, or really get started with our vision and uh, really pursue the, that part of uh, saving the soils. Awesome. Do you, do you talk about your business model and just kind of set the stage, I guess, at, at the highest level? What does eAgronom do? And then we'll dig in a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are bringing economic benefits to sustainable farmers. So uh, I guess uh, it's quite clear that farmers, they're happy to change practices uh, toward more regenerative, uh, but it has to be already short-term profitable for them. 
everybody knows about long-term benefits, but there has to be some short-term benefits as well. And uh, I guess the good news is also that uh, there are some stakeholders who are happy to incentivize uh, sustainable farming. Some corporations want to offset their emissions, so they would like to give money to farmers to sequester carbon in the soil. Banks uh, want to incentivize uh, sustainable businesses and uh, coming to their portfolio. Uh, and uh, already, if you buy electric car, you get better terms from the bank. Same uh, is happening with farms. Uh, farmers w- or banks would like to give better terms to farmers who are applying sustainable practices. Uh, food companies. Most of the big food companies have their sustainability targets uh, different companies, different uh, years, but all of them want to reach carbon neutral, neutral uh, food line. And uh, uh, same with landlords as well. Uh, they want to take care uh, of their land and they're ready to give slightly better terms to farmers who manage the um, uh, soils well. So all those stakeholders would like to incentivize uh, and support uh, regenerative farming, but they lack got the ability to uh, to verify which farmer is sustainable and what are the emissions in the farm and so on. And this is where we come in uh, with our software and our tooling. And uh, the main focus is on the carbon program where we um, uh, bring extra income to farmers who change their practices, sequester more carbon in the soil. We turn this data then into carbon credits and uh, those carbon credits are bought by some big corporations who want to offset their, their emissions. And we take a cut from uh, from the credits then. Fabulous. R- regenerative agriculture is a topic that we love to talk about on the show. Uh, Biostar is in the business of producing an organic fertilizer from a variety of waste streams, uh, mostly manure, but also from food waste as well. Uh, so this is is really hitting the nail on the head for the show. Um, we haven't talked a ton about carbon credits, though. Um, and so I want you to just kind of educate our listeners and viewers on carbon credits. But before I, we do that, I have to ask, is organic farming uh, a, a big deal in Estonia? You mentioned your father has a 3,000-acre organic farm. That's I, th- I think, or was it 300? I apologize. 3,000 uh, 3, acres. That's a big organic farm. So talk first just a little bit about um, organic farming in Estonia and, mm-hmm. and um, are, are more people transitioning to organics? I'm, I'm super interested in that. Absolutely. Uh, I think in European Union, if, it's, if, you, if you look like percentage of the uh, total farming land, then Estonia is in the second place in European Union uh, to have like a percentage of uh, uh, organic land uh, after Austria. So, uh, uh, but but the, the organic farming is quite big in Estonia and uh, it's, it's really beautiful. In a way, uh, you have to think even more in organic farm uh, because you cannot uh, fix your mistakes uh, by just adding some more fertilizers or just uh, adding some uh, 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 crop protection uh, products. But you really have to think, okay, 
if I have this uh, disease and or this uh, insect uh, coming to the field, then how will I change the crop rotation or how I will change my cultivation practices um, to make sure that uh, this um, disease won't be a problem? Because all, always those disease and uh, weeds and bugs, they tell a story about what's uh, wrong on the field. And uh, so, so that's um, uh, like building organic uh, grain farm or managing it in a sto- is, is quite a challenge and uh, requires a lot of uh, work and thinking. But uh, many farmers are, uh, are following that uh, path. And in their opinion, there are quite a good grants as well, subsidies that direct farmers more toward organic. Um, uh, at the same time, uh, well, the, there are some really ambitious targets from the European Union level, but since there isn't more and more uh, organic farms than on, on some years, uh, I think it was two years ago or, or a year ago, uh, organic grain price and uh, conventional grain price uh, was quite same already. So you had so many, uh, so much offering, uh, but so there are some growth challenges, but uh, I guess in the end, uh, it will all play out quite well because uh, uh, like the food production is much more efficient uh, in the organic farm, even though, by the way, my grandfather is conventional farmer. So I, I'm not against using chemicals and that's fine. Uh, but for me, the organic farming is more beautiful because uh, you you have to think more how to use the nature uh, in your advantage. Absolutely, yeah. You don't just throw a pesticide on and 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 solve the problem. And, and it's interesting because a, a lot of times when we talk to organic farmers who who do both, um, they they have the same sentiment that you do. But also they find I think that sometimes making a quick reaction with a pesticide or an herbicide, whatever it may be sometimes can lead to other issues. And so um, that that's super interesting. Do you mind me asking what specifically, uh, what are some of the crops that, that your father's growing on the farm? Yeah, quite regular ones like uh, wheat and rye, uh, but also some legumes like pea and bean uh, and some uh, oil, oil crops like canola uh, or rapeseed oil. Uh, and, uh, and then uses uh white claver uh so basically uh, he has seven year crop rotation and two years is just uh white claver or red claver uh he's using a lot of undercropping i think all of the crops uh beside pea and bean have uh, some uh, undercrop and then after harvesting the main crop this uh, becomes like a cover crop uh, until uh, he seeds another uh crop again for the next season Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is super interesting. In 3,000 acres, uh, that's a big organic farm, so super impressive. And if I'm ever in Estonia, I will certainly look you up and uh, would love to would love to see the farm. So talk about carbon credits. Educate our, our listeners and viewers who might not be as familiar with what a carbon credit really is uh, and talk about how you know, specifically farmers can benefit from them? Yeah. So first of all, uh, well, even more widely, I think there will be several benefits uh, for uh, those, for sustainable farmers. 
So one of those is carbon credits, uh, but in the future, there will be already access to better uh, loan terms as well. We're working with few banks in, in Europe right now on that. Also, uh, the food prices will be better and, and et cetera. So there will be some other benefits as well. And carbon credit is really a specific one. So um, uh, it's um, it, it's basically, in a way, uh, and one of the misunderstandings has been uh, that it's like a second yield in a year. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Uh, so it's it's not that big of an extra income, but it's more like a health insurance for your soil. So it helps to cover all the costs and uh, to to improve your soil. And the biggest benefits then come later uh, from reduced fertilization needs and uh, healthier crops. But how it works is that there are some big companies, uh, bigger and smaller one actually, who are at first reducing their emissions, but it's very difficult for them to get to zero emissions. So what they do then uh, is that they offset the remaining emissions and they offset it by uh, giving money to someone else to remove then the CO2 uh, from the atmosphere. And some that someone else might be farmers, would then have to change practices and sequester more carbon in the soil. And there are really, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, big carbon credits are becoming more and more mainstream. So I wanted to say it's, it's like a really new industry, but it has been actually around already for many years. Just now it's becoming big. Uh, voluntary carbon market, this uh, right now is... Uh, uh, the size of the market is $2 billion. Uh, it used to be, I think, less than a year ago, it was $1 billion or something like this, and it's it's growing very rapidly. And by 2050, uh, it's expected to grow to uh, $50 billion, um, a, a year, the market size. So uh, uh, the market's really big, uh, but since it's still emerging, then uh, there are, there are now... Uh, there are different types of credits. Uh, some have some tougher rules. Some don't have that tough rules. But what we are working with is uh, Vera. Vera is a global uh, carbon credit certifier. Uh, they are uh, basically they have methodologies explaining how you can, what rules you have to follow to actually create those credits, and uh, and then if you. Uh, follow those rules uh, uh, then they have third parties who will verify that you did everything correctly and in the end you can say that uh, now you have Vera certified credits and why this is important is that uh, well half of, even more than half of those uh, uh, this, this car- voluntary carbon credit market uh, is certified by Vera so if you want to be sure that your credits have some value, then it makes sense to have some strong, credible uh, certifier. There are some others as well, like gold standard and uh, and some more, uh, but uh, it makes sense to follow those tougher rules uh, because they can be certain that there is actually a market for your credits as well. And those rules are something like, uh, first of all, it has to be additional. So if farmer already did some activity, then uh, uh, you cannot uh, get credits for this. Also, if some practice is common practice in the region, uh, then you can, or or it's uh, illegal not to do this. 
uh, practice. Uh, then, uh, so so that's the additionality clause. Secondly, the, there shouldn't be any leakage, meaning that uh, your chains shouldn't influence uh, something else negatively. So let's imagine that all farmers in Estonia would start uh, uh, planting trees on the farming land. That would mean that in some other region, uh, farmers are incentivized to grow food more in- intensively and uh, emit more emissions. So, um, and this is considered then leakage. So we, uh, our farmers shouldn't drop their yields. Uh, the yields should be 95% uh, same. Uh, and uh, and all the models have to be scientifically validated and and etc. So there's there are a lot of rules uh, behind it. Very interesting. I really appreciate you you laying that out there for us and and explaining it. You did a great job of explaining that. As we were preparing for the episode, uh, we talked about this concept of a a prepaid carbon credit program. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, uh, well, the thing is that uh, it's a bit like with uh, uh, grain. So you have to do you have to do practice changes today. Farmers they have to buy seed to cover crop, and they have to invest today. And then uh, there is a farming season. The carbon is actually sequestered. Then it might take a year to get uh, credit certified, and then maybe a year to get them sold. So it's likely that uh, from actually doing the first investment to getting credits sold, it takes three years. Well, uh, for some farmers, it's okay. But for other farmers, uh, they need some of the uh, cash already upfront. So what we do is that uh, half of the sellable credits, uh, we are ready to pre-purchase uh, from farmers if farmer uh, wishes. And uh, so we... Uh, give them money in advance and then in the end just uh, they will uh, get uh, the, the half of the credits uh, they can sell later uh, once once they are ready and then the other half uh, they have already sold uh, to us in uh, upfront around currently around 30 to 40 percent of the farmers are using that option excellent so it's a way to sort of Get some funds up front so that you can do the things necessary. Um, and, and we're really familiar at Biostar for uh, developing some renewable gas projects. And um, that would be an interesting concept if you could figure out a way to apply it to the LCFS gas market. There's a, a really long lag time from the time that you actually make the gas and sell it into the market and ultimately receive that credit. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that's a, a really interesting program that you all have. Talk about, I guess, some of the things w- w- we discussed. You know, if you're a farmer um, looking into carbon credits and, um, you know, some of these opportunities, should they be weary? What are some of the challenges and, and what are some of the things that? farmers need to be weary of or conscious of, I guess, as they go and explore their options in this as, you know, emerging market. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, and that is actually one of the challenges right now of the market uh, because the, well, I think United States is developing. I know that the European Union is uh, 
developing a framework. Okay, what is carbon credit? But currently, that kind of fr framework, um, uh, it's not that clear. Uh, there is no like a standard, some um, uh, like a, like there is a global accounting uh, standard for publicly traded companies or something like this. There will be those kinds of standards, and then it will be easier. But the, today, uh, there aren't. And our approach has been that we currently try to apply uh, the highest standards, and then later, if we if it's if we need to lower it, then that's fine. But at least that we are we know that we are above the bar. And this is the biggest uh, risk, I guess, for farmers is, okay, they go to some carbon program, they're promised uh, some income, and um, and then they do all the changes and so on. But the program uh, will start producing credits that after a few years don't have any value. So this is the biggest risk, I guess. Um, and farmers understand this risk as well. And that's why we have also seen that uh, this prepayment option is super important. Uh, not not only for f those farmers who use it, but also for other farmers to know it's there because uh, they they feel and they understand that there is a real thing behind it and we are actually ready to uh, put money on the table and give it to them um, compared to some, uh, some other options where uh, it's unclear if they actually... Uh, uh, the, 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 I guess the... Uh, most challenging carbon programs or, or something to really uh, be uh, like afraid of are the ones where farmer would have to sell their credits on their own as well. I think this will be quite tricky. Maybe in the future there will be a good market and that's that's very easy. But currently the carbon credit is so wide uh, term that uh, they might end up with some uh, so-called asset that uh, doesn't have any value and then it's difficult for them to uh, sell it. In in our cases, uh, uh, yeah, we have those kind of three options. Uh, first of all, farmer can uh, uh, pre-sell or farmer can sell later uh, through Yagnum or farmer, they can keep credits as well if they want. Uh, for example, if they want to offset their own emissions uh, from some other place. So we have definitely some farmers that listen to the show. What are your tips uh, for those farmers if they're if they're just sort of getting into this and, and starting to evaluate different carbon farming programs? Yeah, um, and those I, I would assume that those those farmers are mainly uh, in North America, uh, right? So, um, and that's one uh, of my questions: is is uh, do you work all over the world or, or just mm -hmm. in Europe or who, who can access your platform? Yeah, well, we are working ma mainly in Europe uh, and, and Africa. And uh, actually, we have seen some of the some other players as well uh, who at first, and that was our thinking also at first, that let's do it very globally. But now we see all players somehow start to choose, okay, which region they focus first. Uh, so we have chosen Europe and uh, and Africa, uh, and uh, there are some other players uh, in North America. Some players who seem credible, obviously, I, I don't know the details and so on, uh, who are in uh, North America, are uh, Cibo, uh, Indigo Ag, and Agoro. 
Agora is uh, carbon program by Yara. So uh, I don't know the details, but uh, I think these three are something to look into. Uh, and uh, they they also, well, what's important or what's, the, I guess, the threshold uh, to us is that the all of those three are looking to create certified credits as well. Uh, really something that uh, will have value in the future. Obviously, I don't know details uh, where they are and uh, uh, how far they are with this, but uh, but at least the uh, goal is right. Uh, so so these would be the first three uh, carbon programs I would look into. And I presume if there's any European or African farmers listening, then they should just call you, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, they can call us. In in Africa, actually, I think there are some other companies also, but I, I can't recommend any. Uh, I don't know any by heart. Uh, in Europe, I think those, at least uh, two of those companies uh, uh, who I mentioned, they used to uh, like play around in Europe as well, but uh, uh, it seems that not anymore. Uh, because I think they understood something that we also understood that the uh, focus matters right now. It's quite complex uh, to develop a carbon program and uh, uh, you cannot do it worldwide uh, from the day one. Uh, later, obviously, our goal is also to come to North America and South America and so on. And then I guess we have to find our angle and understand, okay, when the they already they have the first mover advantage was the extra value that we can bring, but they're right now uh, in in Europe uh, and Africa farmers uh, can easily write to us uh, in erknob.com. Well, you can tell I'm not afraid to shamelessly plug our guests. Uh, that's that's why you're here. And so uh, before we kind of shift a little bit, tell me a little more, dig in a little deeper to the technology and the role of data and how you really, really make this possible. Mm -hmm. Well, carbon credits are data. Uh, many of the farmers uh, like to sell the, say that, uh, oh, that's nice. That's the first time when they ever got paid for air. But uh, in reality, it's they, they're getting paid for data. And, uh, and uh, well, obviously behind this data are real actions. But uh, without putting the data together, there won't be any carbon credits. So uh, uh, there are a few things that matter. Uh, one thing is uh, data verification, making sure that the data farmers present us uh, is correct. So for this, we use cross-verification from different sources, like some uh, sensors, uh, some uh, uh, satellite integrations and then uh, machinery telematics getting the data together uh, to verify that uh, the crops uh, that farmers uh, said that are growing on the field are actually the crops and the, the car cropping uh, is happening and uh, and etc so that's uh, that's one thing we have to verify that there is a right uh, that we have the right data and the second part are models so uh, models like the tractor fuel emission models, these are simple, quite, uh, it's like, it's very clear uh, how the emissions work over there. But soil is much more complex. 
And uh, over there, Vera has also quite a tough uh, standards. Uh, so first of all, you have to choose a soil model uh, that is uh, like a public soil model peer reviewed and uh, really scientific. Then you have to validate this with uh, regional peer review, reviewed studies uh, that uh, there is there are some studies done in this region where you want to do the project and this project this these studies also show that your soil model is working and then after this you have to uh, do on the certain fields you have to do very heavy soil sampling as well so in the beginning of the project and then after five years and after 10 years to validate that inside of the project also uh, your soil model is uh, still working uh, so yeah uh, that's uh, these are the two and, and then based on this you put together the model because these are the two things that influence the outcome most is the data correct and then is the model correct carbon credits are data I've never thought of it that way uh, mm. I like the way you stated that um, tell me what types of farmers can participate in, in these programs well, uh, in general, I, I guess all farmers, uh, one of the criticism and challenges of the carbon credits specifically is that uh, when farmer has already been like the, like uh, really innovative and applying regenerative practices in the past, then uh, it might be difficult to find some additional uh, activities. Like let's say with my father, he was applying he had a crop rotation before he was cover cropping uh, uh, a lot already and uh, and so on. Uh, he still found a few places to improve, but uh, but that's the biggest, uh, like in a way, uh, those farmers uh, who are already those front runners, it's more difficult for them to join the carbon program. Uh, but at the same time, we have many of them as well, because they usually still uh, find some uh, step forward. And then the other thing is that we are already working on bringing some other benefits to them, like better interest rates. Uh, I was just uh, uh, on a, a stage yesterday with um, uh, one of the, like head of CEO of uh, Swedbank Estonia, and Swedbank is uh, one of the biggest banks in Scandinavia. So uh, he said that in well, maybe it's gonna be in five years, maybe later, but at one point. Uh, Farmers and the other companies as well who are not sustainable uh, won't get a loan from the bank anymore because banks want to uh, reshape their loan portfolios. And uh, so there will be some other benefits as well uh, to other types of farmers as well. But in general, uh, carbon program is for uh, all, all, all types of farmers. So we work mainly with uh, crop farmers and uh, mixed uh, mixed farmers. You've mentioned that a couple of times, and uh, we're recording this here at the end of August. It'll come out um, in maybe another uh, four or six weeks. But the timing of that comment is is super interesting. I saw an announcement yesterday, I think, or the day before, that uh, Bank of Australia will not be giving out loans to new gasoline or diesel cars starting in 2025. And so uh, California just yesterday in the U.S., uh, I think that maybe they announced it prior to yesterday, but they're saying um, 
you know, no, no new uh, gasoline vehicles in 2035 in California. So um, although we're sort of talking about two different industries here, I think the topic is really, really important, which is financial institutions restructuring their portfolios, making sure that they're sustainable, and ultimately um, passing that through to their customers. So the idea of not being able to get a new car loan uh, on a gasoline or diesel vehicle is, is frankly, something that I thought, you know, I, I didn't, I guess, envision that as being a huge part of the EV adoption, uh, but but it's happening and, and institutions are starting to talk about that. And uh, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Everybody has a different date. You know, 2025 is obviously a little more aggressive than 2035. But but these are really, really important things that are going to really accelerate, um, you know, the adoption of these techno- technologies. Uh, so very, very interesting to hear you talk about that. Um, and and. Thank you for sharing some of that. I, I certainly had not thought about uh, a farmer, you know, being able to uh, obtain or not obtain a loan based upon how sustainable their farm is. So really, really fascinating concept. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. On your website, you mentioned agroforestry and you're focused on agroforestry. So I'll be frank with you. Um, I didn't, I had not heard that term. I'm very interested. What is agroforestry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, you can, uh, I guess, I, I guess it's possible to explain it in a diff- in different ways. Uh, for us, uh, one way is that it's, it's just another option to sequester more carbon, uh, not in the soil, but in trees. But um, uh, more broadly, the agroforestry is um, combining trees uh, to the farm so that uh, you are growing trees and crops at the same time so that your crop production uh, wouldn't be reduced. So you choose those strategic places. uh, uh, Also, uh, it's a good way for uh, animal farmers who are producing uh, animals uh, to to grow trees and have some uh, tree rows or some uh, bushes together or something where animals can go to shade. And uh, it's it's a really big uh, movement in Europe as well. Uh, agroforestry is something, it's, it's actually not new. It's more like it's natural uh, because, uh, well... It, it's not natural to have, well, it depends on region, but uh, to have those really big fields, uh, it seems e- efficient and in a way it is efficient, uh, but then the wind erosion is coming and, uh, uh, but but there are some like, it's still something, it's new. Uh, the research on agroforestry is very new. Uh, so how it will actually influence the yields and so on because let's say you plant the tree line uh, so what are the negative things Uh, it takes some uh, water away and some nutrients away Uh, depending on the region uh, there's some uh, shade so you have less sunlight it might be a good thing or a bad thing uh, depending on the region in Estonia it's a very bad thing Uh, 
if you have a shade, uh, the snow is uh, melting away later and uh, so on. Uh, but then there are some positive things as well. So uh, roots are may get uh, nutrients from uh, from really from the bottom, uh, from deeper levels, and bring it up. And then leaves are spreading it around. Uh, it might be that uh, the shade is a good thing in some region. It might also be that uh, uh, wind uh, block is uh, good for your animal health, but also might be good for your crop health. So these are the things uh, we are currently researching and trying to set up some pilots to understand uh, how they, uh, how it would like, how it would be best and most efficient to grow trees and uh, and uh, crops together. And some of those trees might also be um, like fruit trees or nut trees. So uh, farmers can also uh, get the food production out of it. Yeah, and I think you, you touch on something there that's super important to, to highlight, which is really that every farm is different. Um, and, and depending on where you are in the world, in the region, what type of soil you have, the climate, every farm is different. And so there isn't this sort of one size fits all approach, you know, that you can apply to farming. And, and you really have to look at all of the different, um, you know, components of the farm um, from soil to, of course, uh, climate and et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was really interesting. And it, it sounds like a space where e-agronom has potential to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and another aspect maybe is also that, well, uh, depending obviously where the animal farms are, but uh, uh, if, if they're in the region where you can also grow some uh, trees, then that might that's probably the only way to actually re- re- uh, reach net zero uh, animal production. Uh, because uh, even if we capture the methane, uh, there is still uh, uh, some emissions involved in uh, animal growing. And then, uh, well, uh, this might be a good way to uh, capture those emissions as well. Uh, but yeah, for us, well, let's see. Uh, we have several, uh, like we have a small science center inside the acronym that is researching several ways how to sequester more carbon in uh, um, farming land and uh, and uh, bringing those opportunities to farmers and then bringing those economic benefits also. Uh, so our job is to uh, develop the environment in a way that then farmers can pick their own solutions and put it together and uh, uh, well uh, benefit uh, from it. Very interesting. Um, as we prepared the episode, we, we talked about food security, which is a topic that we like to cover here on the podcast. How does e-agronom fit in when we talk about food security? Yeah, I guess, well... Uh, main thing is if if you take good care of your soil, uh, then uh, uh, you are much less influenced by the weather and extreme weather conditions as well. Let's say if it's uh, uh, too dry. Actually, I even I spoke uh, I spoke like a few years ago with someone uh, from uh, American Agriculture Ministry or something like this. 
uh, and in certain states, uh, if you grow uh, undercrops, so some undercrop uh, uh, below the main crop, then uh, the soil temperature is lower because you have a shade over there. And it's it's super important in some uh, regions if there is a long dry period without any rain, uh, that can uh, make a really big difference. Uh, also, if you have more humus in the soil, uh, all the when it's really heavy rain periods, then you can uh, it it's like a water bank, uh, so it, you don't have the floating water on top of your field, but it can actually absorb it. And then, if you have the long dry periods, you can uh, access this as well. So that's the main thing, uh, I guess. If you apply those regenerative practices, and if e-acronym helps to apply them then um, uh, we have uh, less, uh, well, farmers are less influenced by the extreme weather. And tell me a little bit about the role of technology in that, uh, in, in ensuring good soil health and therefore boosting yields and, and protecting against um, extreme conditions and, and all the things you just discussed. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, well, uh in a way you cannot influence something if you cannot measure it uh or at least uh, it's it's difficult to uh, get all the farmers to influence something if they cannot measure it and uh, i think this is where uh the technology has biggest uh impact is in measuring and showing the feedback uh, to uh, farmers if you do this this is the result. If you do that, then that's the result and impact to the soil. Uh, obviously, well, and that's that's something that we are mainly uh, uh, focusing and working with. Uh, but then, obviously, if you go, if you would ask the same question from uh, the CEO of John Deere, then they are using technology to then already they now develop direct drilling solutions and. Uh, precision uh, fertilization solutions and uh, uh, other uh, technologies as well that uh, are very helpful as well. But from our uh, standpoint, what uh, what we see as a first step is this measuring uh, and actually giving the feedback to farmers, okay, uh, what, what are the impacts of their uh, different practices? Absolutely. It's one question we hear a lot from farmers with respect to our fertilizer, how do we know it's going to work? And yeah. uh, we've we've been doing a lot of field trials to try to show them data. Um, and, and sometimes those help. Sometimes they say, well, I'm just going to try it and I'll let you know if it works. And so, uh, mm-hmm. but, but absolutely being able to measure and verify improvements or not uh, is so key to, you know, further pushing uh, the adoption of, of these regenerative farming practices. This has been such a great episode. I just have a few more questions as we start to wrap up. Um, who are some of the, and talk about some of the key partnerships that you've been able to sort of lever uh, to enable your success. Yeah, well, um few, few things. So I guess we are working, uh, well, for maybe even the biggest uh, partners are, are our dealers uh farming well i think no big agribusiness is selling directly to uh farmers 
And uh, in first, in few markets, we started doing it on our own as well. And uh, let's say in Poland uh, and Estonia and Latvia, we have developed extremely good relationships with uh, farmers on our own. But um, uh, to grow like pan-Europe and globally later as well, uh, you need strong partners. Uh, farming is very relationship-based business and uh, changing practices uh, requires a lot of trust uh, from a person. And uh, uh, over there, we are relying on uh, partners uh, who are already who already have developed that kind of trust. Like in Lithuania, for example, another European Union country, uh, our partner is uh, John Deere, uh, local John Deere dealer. In Romania, it's local. Uh, uh, well, actually, we have two partners over there. Uh, both are farmer farming farmer unions. Uh, in some other country, it can be a local advisory uh, company, etc. So these are one of the key partners we have, uh, and um, uh, and and then well. Uh, working with some other uh, technology partners as well, as well. Uh, for example, integrating with John Deere uh, to get some data from their machines, then with some uh, satellite providers, uh, because we are not doing everything on our own, but uh, trying to put all the uh, all the technologies uh, together. It's very interesting. I've been really fascinated to learn over the course of the last few years just how much data the the companies some of these companies you mentioned John Deere and others are collecting off of their equipment and and how frank you know savvy the farmers are in in interpreting and using that data i think it's it's super interesting and something that i think will continue to see grow in farming practices across the world um what do you think is your biggest challenge as you look forward the biggest challenge there are so many uh, small uh, pieces to put together and uh, okay we can put together but how to make it as simple as is driving the tractor driving is a uh, tractor is also like very complex if you go inside and uh, especially right now with all those sensors and uh, and etc but it's really easy to drive it uh, and that's the kind of feeling we want to have for our farmers as well, so that uh, joining a carbon program uh, would be as easy and uh, uh, like a very straightforward experience for them. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to lower our standards. Uh, we, we want to make sure that the credits we create are still high value and, uh, uh, well, uh, according to the highest standards. So basically putting those two things together, having it easy and simple, but then complex inside, uh, that's the biggest challenge that we have. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great episode. I'm I'm fascinated by your company and I really am looking forward to following along with your growth. Tell our listeners and viewers how they can connect with you or follow along with your company online. Yeah, well, we have a website, uh, eacronom.com. Uh, it's also possible to uh, write us, uh, find us uh, uh, from LinkedIn. Uh, you can. It's a small company. We have eighty people, eight zero. So it's possible to write directly to me as well. 
either via LinkedIn or just Robin at theacronom.com. Fabulous. This has been another episode of Renewables with Robin Saliwax from eAgronom. Robin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I said, I hope we can stay in touch. I certainly look forward to following your company as you continue to grow and uh, really appreciate you making the time today. Yeah, thanks a lot. All right. Well, thank you also to our listeners and viewers who continue to tune in to the podcast. I'm your host, David Smart, Senior Vice President of Sales at Biostar Renewables. And this has been another episode of Renewables, a sustainability podcast. Thanks again to Robin and thanks to our listeners and viewers. Thank you for clicking that follow button so that you don't miss an episode in the future. We have a lot of great episodes coming up here through the end of the year. So really, really appreciate everyone tuning in. All right, Robin, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 